Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We're delighted to be with you, and we're delighted to have Christopher Chung. And I asked Christopher before the program started, does he go by Chris or Christopher? And like me, he signs, I sign mine Donald Curtis, but I like to be called Don, and he likes to be called Chris. So, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Don. Well, we're delighted to be uh, have you back with us and to talk about economic development. North Carolina, of course, is one of these states that uh, is growing like leaps and bounds, and we're even talking about in the next census maybe even adding a congressional district because we're growing faster than the rest of the country, maybe even two. That's right. And uh, But we also still have our problems because we have 20, 25 counties that are uh, sharing most of this growth, and uh, then we have 75 or so counties that are either bordering those and flat, or uh, unfortunately we have a number of counties that are actually losing ground. And so that's, uh, that's an interesting situation. It certainly is, yeah. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, of which you serve as CEO. Um, is this a part of state government, or is this privately funded? So we're uh, what's called a public-private uh, partnership. Uh, we're actually set up as a nonprofit organization, a 501c3 uh, to be specific. And what we do is we actually contract with uh, the North Carolina Department of Commerce, which is a state agency, but uh, they contract with us to perform a number of functions that used to be housed uh, within state government. So everything from a lot of what goes into recruiting companies here to marketing the state for tourism, uh, even things like helping companies to grow their exports and helping entrepreneurs understand the first few steps of setting up a business in North Carolina. All those things are now done uh, within the EDPNC, but certainly on behalf of state government through that contract relationship. Well, it's an interesting situation, as we said, where we have some uh, some high growth areas like the Triangle, the Triad, the uh, Charlotte area, uh, of course, the Greenville, North Carolina area, Wilmington, Asheville. Some of these areas are growing and others aren't. So let's let's focus a little bit about those counties that aren't growing and those counties that are uh, actually losing population. What can you do for them? What what is their hope? What where do they look for growth? Because uh, uh, you know part of the problem that they're facing is the fact that if their tax base goes down, the revenue goes down, then they have trouble paying for schools and paying for infrastructure. Sure, absolutely. So uh, it's, it's not a problem or a challenge unique to North Carolina. Uh, again, over about 22 years now in state-level economic development in my career, I've certainly seen this play out in other parts of the country. Um, one thing I would, we always urge uh, communities in rural areas to consider is that it's not all about necessarily recruiting a company in that uh, will somehow save the day, right? I think being in economic development for two decades plus now, business recruitment gets a lot of attention. Everyone loves to read the headlines about which companies moving to the state, moving to the area. Everybody loves a good groundbreaking, good ribbon cutting. That is just one form of economic development. And frankly, it's a very challenging one because there's only so many of those deals out there to be chased every year. And when you think about all the states, counties, and cities, going after that finite set of deals, the odds are, of course, quite uh, quite low uh, to win out in that competition. A lot of other ways that economic development can happen. Tourism is a big draw, for example, for some of our rural areas in North Carolina that have abundant, beautiful natural resources that draw tourists to come in, spend money on the local economy, which itself can create jobs and investment. Obviously, you want to help your existing companies. So if you've got a good base of industry, a lot of your job creation growth and investment 
ought to be coming from taking care of the growth needs of those companies. So I think from a, a strategy standpoint, uh, that's kind of the first point. Let's make sure we're not just focused on this this idea that we're going to somehow recruit a big factory in from the outside, because that may be challenging if your population is not growing or if you can't demonstrate your workforce is growing in that particular area. Things like broadband, uh, that's obviously huge. Uh, you mentioned infrastructure being key. Uh, broadband is a way to shorten that physical distance between some of these rural areas and the urban markets of the world uh, by allowing people to connect virtually to the workplace, uh, to access healthcare, to even access things like online education. Uh, while it doesn't solve everything, broadband connectivity is certainly going to be a big part of that solution for many rural areas, not just here in North Carolina, but certainly all over the United States. Well, uh, and I've been told several times in the past, and I, I'm going to ask you if, if this is still true, but uh, existing companies account for two to one over new industries in actual job creation. Is that correct? Uh, it's so? actually the, the number I typically hear is 75 to 80 percent of job growth actually comes from existing companies. So, so about, yes, even more so. Yeah, so uh, about just, four to one. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because if every company grows one person, that's a huge number of people. That's right, and, yeah. And, yeah. I always like to ask uh, communities, would you rather have 10 existing companies add 10 jobs each, or would you rather attract a new company to bring in 100 jobs at a time? Because really the math yeah. is the same. Yeah. And in fact, the, the former situation actually helps diversify your economic base by attracting jobs to different companies yeah. in the area. Well, it, it's certainly a challenging situation. And of course, North Carolina's uh, layout uh, begs for uh, some problems because we're a long and narrow state. <laughs> we and are. Uh, it's a long way from Mania to Murphy. It certainly <laughs> it is. is. And uh, so we have some of these counties that are really a long way away from any major uh, city. Uh, you go back, to, like you said, Murphy and Cherokee County, way back there. Of course, tourism in uh, that area is now growing because of the gambling casinos. It is, yes. They've seen a significant increase in visitor spending. And you know, think Cherokee, somewhere like that, it's only about 90 minutes or so from Atlanta. So, again, some of these yeah. cities, uh, some of these communities may be tied actually closer to cities and urban markets, not in North Carolina, but certainly uh, within orbit of some of those other states' large metros. Well, like Elizabeth City, for example, That's it's right. closer to Norfolk. And, Absolutely. And uh, and such and so now how do we work with other states in those regards where the circle say around Norfolk, uh, Norfolk includes a lot of North Carolina does Virginia actually work with us on those cases or in South Carolina where say uh, Laurenburg and uh, Robinson County are very close to the South Carolina border Sure. I mean, you'll see states collaborate, obviously, on things like uh, disaster recovery efforts whenever we've got a hurricane you know, spinning towards uh, this part of the country. On the economic development front, it can be a little bit more difficult because there is such intense competition for those companies that are looking to create jobs, make new investment. We've teamed up a little bit with South Carolina in the past on some joint marketing where we're promoting both Carolinas. Uh, but once there's an actual deal in play, as you can imagine, it gets a little bit more difficult to collaborate. Now, I I think that would be the true test, right, is if two states ever were to team up on something like a joint incentive package because they know that it locates in a border area and the jobs created would benefit citizens of both states. But that's that's asking a lot of states to get into that kind of collaboration. But we do have like uh, the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance, uh, which is a joint bi-state economic development entity representing the Metro Charlotte region, which spans that state line. So while it may not always be the state's uh, and the state government's teaming up, uh, it doesn't mean that you're not still seeing some collaboration across state borders here and there. 
Now, uh, there used to be a number that I was given that every time we create a new job, a truly new job, that it in effect creates two more jobs. Uh, is that number still accurate? It really depends on the sector. So uh, you're going to see sectors like manufacturing where you will see, a, they typically call it a multiplier, but the number of induced jobs or indirect jobs that result from one new job being created, typically very high in manufacturing, uh, especially high when you consider something like automotive manufacturing. That's why states, including North Carolina, are so eager to land those automotive assembly plants. They know that when that auto assembly plant comes in, sure, that's going to be 2,000 direct new jobs, but all the different automotive suppliers and parts makers that have to come in and supply that factory, those are also going to create significant new employment, probably in total more than the actual assembly plant itself. Well, uh, that brings to mind uh, the fact that uh, we are in competition with other states, and I've often wondered why the federal government doesn't step in and say, wait a minute, let's level the playing field. No more incentives. Uh, that's been proposed uh, at different points, at least, like I said, I've been in this business for about 20 years now. And in the late 90s, there was a series that Time Magazine did examining corporate incentives by state and local governments. And that was one of their suggestions was the federal government ought to step in and impose an excise tax or just flat out ban these. I think at the end of the day, federal government really just defers to states to do what they, they want to do. But in the European Union, you have seen that similar move where the, the use of incentives is, is banned among member countries. I don't know that we'll ever get there. I think if we ever do, North Carolina will still compete extremely well on the basics of what we have to offer in terms of a business well, climate. that's the reason I th I'm in favor of it, because Absolutely. I think people like to live in North Carolina. <laughs> I would think so, too. As yeah. a transplant myself, I, I would agree. Well, you know, the other thing that, uh, you know, you hear the arguments about incentives is they're totally unfair to the existing business. If you're making gadgets and a new gadget company comes in and they get incentives and you've been in the state for 20 years and paid taxes and all the time, uh, there is something unfair about that. Yeah, it's certainly a, a concern. Again, I've spent most of my 20-some years uh, in the business recruitment side, so focusing on attracting companies. And yes, you will hear existing employers say, look, you're offering a lot of tax incentives and tax breaks to a new company coming in, and now I have to compete for my workers with that new company that you've helped to uh, assist and locate here. Uh, that's a fair uh, concern. I'd say the reality is that incentives are available to both existing and new companies. Uh, it's really just a function of how many jobs and how much investment and what kind of wages those companies are paying. Those are the basic criteria here in North Carolina, as well as in most other states. So if you're an existing employer, and you are interested in growing, uh, and you're planning to make investment, you're planning to create new jobs, there are incentives available in many instances to help facilitate that kind of expansion. So that's what I would you know, urge uh, your listeners who are running businesses to think about, is that they can also participate in this as long as, I said, they're, they're creating jobs and making investment in their communities. And so if they're interested in finding out about these, how do they get in touch with you? Because uh, I'm not sure that... Uh, a small business is totally aware of the opportunities like that. Oh, sure, absolutely. So our website is uh, www.edpnc. That's edpnc.com. Stands for Economic Development Partnership, North Carolina.com. Uh, and incentives are just one way we can help those existing companies. A lot of what else we do on behalf of the state includes helping companies figure out if they're ready to export their products overseas. And why do we do that? We do that because if companies are successful finding new markets and finding new customers outside the U.S., 
hopefully that's going to lead to some organic growth right here in North Carolina. They'll create more jobs, make more investment. Again, we live in the biggest economy in the world, uh, but let's remember it's only 5% of the world's population, and it's about 20% of the world's purchasing power. So there's tremendous opportunities sitting outside the United States. Many companies, though, don't know what steps to take to tap into those lucrative markets overseas. That's one of the other services that we perform on the state's behalf uh, for existing companies. Our guest is Chris Chung, and we'll be back with more as we talk about economic development in the state of North Carolina, and we'll do that right after these messages here on Carolina Newsmakers. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem program. Be the voice for a child. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Christopher Chung. He is the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, a private-public partnership that is responsible for aiding and assisting economic growth in the state of North Carolina. I started to say economic job development, but that's just part of what you do. And North Carolina has a rather interesting track record of overcoming some real uh, obstacles that other states avoided. I mean, you know, if you go back uh, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago especially, we were very heavy in cigarette manufacturing. We were very heavy in textiles. We were very heavy in furniture. And most states that have faced the loss of those types of jobs are still trying to recover. Yet North Carolina um, has been able to not only recover, but in many cases replace most of those jobs with much better paying jobs. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you look at what uh, Raleigh and and Charlotte looked like 40, 50 years ago, what the triad looked like 40, 50 years ago. And yes, look, the reality is every economy transforms, evolves, and adapts over time. The needs of companies in terms of the workforce and skills that they demand, that also changes over time. It, It just illustrates probably the biggest challenge in economic development, which is ensuring that there's an educated, skilled, trainable workforce that can adapt to whatever that economic change ends up looking like. Uh, In economic development today, I mean, our biggest challenges are what is automation going to do to the jobs that are here in the U.S. economy? There was a study released earlier this year that said 25% of all the jobs here in the United States are at high risk of automation within the coming decade. So there are probably, what, 150 million jobs today in the U.S. economy. If you're talking 30-some, 40-some million jobs that are at risk of being automated away, what are those people going to do? What are the skills they'll need to adjust and adapt? Um, Economies change, and like I said, uh, states, uh, local governments, the policymakers, uh, they have to be ready to make sure that they can adapt and respond quickly so that they are not left behind by those tremendous uh, changes to the economy. We hear a lot about self-driving cars, and uh, when you begin to think about what that might do if truly a car is able to program itself to the point where it is considerably safer than human beings, and the impact that would have on the job market, for example, there would be far less wrecks and accidents. 
So the body shops would have less work. And then, of course, insurance rates should come down because if there's less. So all these, uh, the economy is sort of funny. When you push in here, you push out somewhere else. That's a great way to put it. Actually, your producer and I were just talking about self-driving cars. Yeah, you think about even on the manufacturing. Which scared the heck out of me, by the way. But uh. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready for it either. Although I will say I travel a lot around North Carolina driving myself. And so it wouldn't be bad to let someone else do the driving, even if that's the, the machine Well, we've itself. heard that about you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we've considered putting warnings on the air when you're on the road. Oh, very good. Actually, that's probably a good idea for the for the safety of the other drivers out there in North Carolina. Um, but no, I, you're absolutely right. In terms of changes to other industries, trucking, of course, if, if trucks uh, become self-driving, what's that going to do to all the truck drivers? And then we have drones. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Drones, uh, same thing on the airspace side. And then even on the manufacturing supply chain, if, if cars are self-driving, do you really need steering wheel manufacturers? Do you need brake manufacturers? Do you need some of these things that that you know constitute the human interface with the vehicle those things are no longer going to be really relevant to the design of a car a car will essentially become a rolling office a rolling dining room a rolling bedroom a rolling entertainment center that's ultimately what true self-driving cars do i I think we'll all be much better rested Um, we hopefully are all much more safe Uh, but that's still probably years away uh, on even on the conservative side of things well, it, uh, but the economy, you know, I've often said that, uh, and I started this about 15 or 20 years ago, I said, you know, if I go back to college today, I would study economics because the truth of the matter is economics and economic theory never changes. The things that go into economic theory That's change, correct. the input, but uh, the the uh, supply and demand and all that sort of thing is true no matter where we go. Yes, that's right. And uh it's a, it's a major that I think uh, should start more in high school than does. Uh, yeah, I would as an economics major myself from college, I, I would agree that it's a helpful foundation uh, to teach you a lot of, of different things, right? Now, we have uh, some massive changes in retailing, and uh, the typical brick-and-mortar retailer seems to be on the decline right now. Now, whether that uh, is a temporary trend or not, I don't know. Uh, I've got some theories that uh, that may just be a fad. That's my personal belief. Uh, some of it, but we that is being replaced by home delivery and uh, Amazon and, and things of this nature. Of course, one is creating jobs and the other is losing. Is there a net loss or gain there? That's a really good question. I, I will say, going back to that earlier uh, statistic I cited from the McKinsey uh, report on automation, I mean, you think about some of the jobs that are at highest risk of, of automation, and that does include some of these positions in the retail industry. Uh, no surprise, I mean, this has been going on for 25, 30 years, that it, people like the convenience of one-click shopping online, and, and everything shows up at their door, and these days you can get it delivered to your door within just a few hours of when you place that order. That's getting increasingly common in, in urban markets. Uh, uh, yes, uh, that's certainly going to change uh, some of the employment in the economy, especially around the retail sector. Uh, one of the, the projected high-growth jobs in the future is actually something uh, that's called like a virtual store manager. So someone who can walk you through your online experience with the same touch and care that you would expect from an in-person store manager, but doing it in a virtual environment as more and more of that purchasing behavior moves to an online environment. Well, that's, uh, you know. Brave new world. You know, brave new world. I'm going to change the subject a little bit and talk about the importance of the community college system. North Carolina sort of got into the community college system a little earlier than a lot of states, and we have uh, set up a system of uh, community colleges that provide great help to uh, the uh, business community. In most cases, a lot of job training, a lot of uh, 
opportunities when a particular industry suffers and retraining and so forth. But uh, compared to other states, we're, we're ahead of the game there, aren't we? I would say so. We've got the third largest community college system in the country. I, I want to say it's Texas and California that have number one and number two. But we've got the third largest, as you pointed out. So 58 different community colleges. No North Carolinian is further than about 30 minutes drive from one of these different campuses. And they are pivotal. So uh, Dr. P- you know, Peter Hans is the president of the community college system now. They play a critical role in providing, of course, two-year education, many of whom go on to matriculate at four-year universities, but as you pointed out, extremely vital to industry in terms of developing that customized training that employers need for their workforce. We talk about workforce being that number one biggest challenge today for companies. Uh, Those community colleges are a huge part of the solution that we can offer here in North Carolina to ensure that companies have the skilled talent that they're needing to be successful in their industries. One other area that North Carolina, we we mentioned earlier that North Carolina, uh, I I guess 30 years ago, was heavy in textiles, furniture, uh, cigarette manufacturing, and uh, uh, some other things that have sort of disappeared. One part of our economy that has remained strong in total number of dollars is agriculture. But uh, automation and machinery is uh, aiding and assisting those farmers, but using less labor. That's right. Yeah, I was actually just telling someone the other day, I was at a a trade show earlier this year, and John Deere was unveiling kind of its next generation of of farm tractor. And this thing uh, relies on GPS technology. It can plant, till, do everything within a few centimeters of accuracy and all autonomously. So literally, you just need one operator to sit in the cab. Uh, He or she can be playing solitaire on their iPhone, and, and the machine does everything else. So when you think about that kind of transformation to agriculture, yes, it's certainly going to have impact. Now, what we're trying to do here in North Carolina is we, we do a good job growing the crops, raising the livestock. How do we attract more of the value-added agribusiness, uh, food processing, food research and development? Uh, those types of functions are very, very important to, to aid in the growth of our job base. And so there's concerted efforts to do that. Uh, we work a lot with the Department of Agriculture on those kinds of efforts to attract value-added agribusiness. But you're right, farming has been changing for 100 years now at the least and will likely continue to change due to things like technology. So are we actually expanding any in acreage in farming? or is uh, This probably is a question I'll ask uh, Agriculture Commissioner Troxler. Yeah, Commissioner Troxler would be better uh, served to address that. I, I don't know about the actual acreage, but certainly uh, I know a big part of what the Department of Agriculture does is helps farmers figure out if it makes sense to transition to different crops, uh, different livestock, uh, with things like industrial hemp. Uh, being able to be grown here in North Carolina, that could be an option for some of the the folks who used to grow tobacco. Again, it just speaks to changes in the economy and how they drive things like our agriculture industry uh, here in North Carolina, which, as you pointed out, is still the largest industry, I think, clocking in at about 80 to $90 billion a year. How does the uh, uh, increase in longevity affect the economy overall as far as jobs and such, where uh, for years, uh, the retirement age was sort of set at 65 because people, I guess the average uh, person was dying somewhere around 70. Now people are living much longer, and many people are putting off retirement. How does that affect the overall job growth situation? 
Uh, well, I think it it could. Uh, well, there's a lot of this. That's a great question. I'm not sure I'm an expert in demography. Certainly, that uh, there's a healthcare industry impact on that. Of course, as the as people live longer, they're likely to be consuming more of their healthcare in those later years of life, and so the capacity of the healthcare system to absorb all that that's got to be one of those things to be considered. Uh, if people are staying in the workforce for a longer period of time because they expect to live longer, well, that could uh, perhaps that could affect people who are hoping to move up into those positions. And so that could have impacts within an organization itself. Uh, retirement, uh, you can probably retire two, maybe three times in a particular lifetime now based on longevity. We, one of our functions within our tourism team is to attract retirees to North Carolina. But we don't want to stop just there, right? If we can get someone retiring here at the young age of 55, 60, 65, even 70 is pretty young these days. We also want to help them understand what I think it, a little older than 70 is still 75. young. 75, how's that? I, I'm just, how's that? That's just a personal observation. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in. At the young age of, let's say, 80 and other, let's say any of these retirees moving to North Carolina from New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, we also, also want to help them understand uh, what it takes to start a business in North Carolina in case any of them want to have second or even third careers because that itself can also contribute to economic development in our state. Again, it's about all strategies for driving economic development in North Carolina, not just about recruiting companies here to the state. So one of the things I see a note here is energizing rural North Carolina conferences, which were introduced last year. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's right. So that's an initiative from our board of directors uh, who really wanted to try to do something for our, from our organization's standpoint to move the needle on rural North Carolina. As we talked about earlier in the segment, a lot of rural North Carolina is certainly facing some challenges. Again, not all of them uh, are, are you know impossible to overcome, and we want to try to help arm communities with what we think are some good case studies and success examples around the state of how to address uh, some of these key building blocks. So again, going back to this idea that uh, if if you don't have some of these foundational pieces in place as a community, especially as a rural community, it's going to be really hard to expect you to be able to recruit a company or convince a company to come in from the outside. And those building blocks, from our perspective, are issues like education, workforce, uh, infrastructure like broadband, like we talked about, uh, health. Uh, again, people don't necessarily think of health and healthcare as an economic development issue, but it really is. If your workers are not healthy because they cannot access good healthcare resources, that's certainly going to affect your viability as an employer. Uh, and then last of all, leadership. Uh, you and I were talking during the break that leadership uh, the, the bench in many communities is just not as deep, and it really does take good, strong local leadership to drive positive changes in these other building block areas like education, healthcare, infrastructure, and workforce. So we did this for the first time last year, talking about all five of these issues. Uh, we're getting ready to get together in two weeks to focus on one of those building blocks, uh, workforce, uh, talking about talent attraction, talent retention, and talent development in rural areas with a lot of great case studies, really great presenters, and we hope to address each of those other building blocks in subsequent years to come. So we're very excited about that. Uh, it's our way of, of helping aid that discussion around what can be done to assist rural North Carolina. I should have asked this question earlier, but I'm just going to sort of get away from the topics right now and ask you, Christopher, how did you end up in North Carolina because you attended the Ohio State University? By the way, the, the graduates up there call it the Ohio State University, <laughs> and they get quite angry when you don't call it the Ohio State it, University. It's the Ohio State when you write it. I'm, I'm quite fine if you say Ohio State in, the, in just you know, a normal conversation. So I, I'm a native of Ohio, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, spent my first 30 years there, including my first 10 years in state economic development uh, for what – 
was then the state's Department of Commerce in Ohio. Then I spent seven years heading up Missouri's public-private uh, partnership focused on business recruitment and business attraction. When North Carolina was looking at uh, taking this same approach a few years ago, they benchmarked Missouri as one of the states they wanted to learn from. That's how I got in touch with the people here. One conversation led to another, and here I am five years uh, into the job here. In fact, our organization, the EDPNC, is getting ready to celebrate its fifth birthday coming up here in about two weeks. So uh, I've been really privileged to be part of the team uh, since day one. Now, there's a rumor that you came because uh, from uh, Missouri to North Carolina because our beaches were better. <laughs> there are not a lot of beaches in Missouri. There are a lot of great things, including some really good brisket barbecue, not pulled pork. They can't do pulled pork very well, but the brisket's fantastic. But yeah, the mountains, the beaches, I mean, North Carolina, for someone who grew up and lived most of his life in the Midwest, it's just, it's a, a lovely, lovely place Well, you place know, that's, that's got to be a great aid in what you're doing, because this is a good, uh, diverse state, uh, and it's... Uh, uh, such a uh, politically uh, diverse, uh, you know, we're a purple state. I mean, we, we, we're sort of well-balanced, I think, in our thought. Sometimes that leads to some political problems. But it certainly does, and we stay out of that. But you're right, the natural scenery, the, the temperate weather, um, you know, days like today where it's gorgeous, beautiful outside. I mean, those things are all part of that sales yeah. pitch, depending on who you're talking to. But, yes, as someone who's lived other places and moved here only recently, hopefully that makes me in a pretty good position to tell others who may be thinking about making the move here to North Carolina. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us and sharing the thoughts of what the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina is doing. Again, if you'd like more information, you can go online to edpnc.com, edpnc.com, and get that information. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. Program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.